The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome to Clubhouse. Today we have Alberto Frea, fireside chat with Alberto Frea, uh, moderated by Matt Pace, Ambassador's Corner. Uh, We do this every week and uh, usually on Thursdays at 6 p.m. And um, it will be replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast uh, in the next week or two. And... um, yeah, it's uh, normally Stevie Kim does these, and <laughs> she is, I promise, so much better at these than I am. But um, she's off traveling in the wide, wide world as she does. Um, so it, you, you're stuck with me this time. So okay. So uh, Matt, should we uh, go on? Yeah, go. Go ahead. No, I was going to say you are you are a um, uh, a restaurateur. I, I, I see. And you're operations director of Enoteca da Luca, an independent group of three Italian restaurants and wine bars in central London. And you're an Italian That's wine right. ambassador and a WSET level three holder. Have I got everything there? Exactly. That's true. Um, and um, so before we get started, I just wanted to ask you why you chose Alberto Frea as your favorite wine producer? Well, uh, me and Alberto just had lunch last week uh, in one of our restaurants. Um, uh, Fontana Freda's uh, Barolo Serralunga d'Alba is a big seller for us. Um, we've just been doing, Fontana Freda have been promoting Barolo Week for um, a while now, I think, Alberto. And so we've just participated in this promotion where we've had the Serralunga d'Alba by the glass, and it's going incredibly well. So I think we're probably going to continue it through all of November. The week becomes a month. Um, I'm super passionate about Piemonte. I've been a few times. I, I love Nebbiolo more than anything else. So, yeah, and obviously Fontana Fred, a terrific historic producer. So that's why um, I thought it would be good for us to talk. Fantastic. No, I actually was going to ask you as well, um, you know, where you had first heard of him. So was it the first time that you had ever, you met him for the first time last week for lunch? No, we've met, we've met, where have we met before, Alberto? Was it Grandi Lange with the first time we met? I can't even correct. remember. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. met so, in uh, January this year. Yeah. Yeah, in, yeah, in uh, Torino, which if anyone is listening is, you know, interested in, uh, in uh, Nebbiolo from Piemonte, Grandi Lange is the place to learn more about that. Lots of producers, lots of brilliant producers all under one roof. Um, from my point of view, it was great to meet people who are already imported into the UK and also to meet producers who are not imported into the UK. And you've got everyone under one roof. 
um, it's a really, really brilliant opportunity to taste things side by side. Great. Okay. And, and that's, that's awesome. Okay. So you guys know each other a little bit and, and do you, do you have any learning objectives? CVKIM loves the learning objectives. Do you have any learning objectives that you want the audience, um, to take away from today's conversation? I would say it was more about, uh, you know, for me in Italy, uh, the, one of the things I want to talk to Alberto about is, um, uh, you know, MGAs and, um, you know, different soil types and really understanding how they can impact, you know, how Nebbiolo responds to terroir. And I think it's super important for Piemonte, and that's been established for about 12 years now, that to have MGAs on the label. And I was just yesterday in Chianti Classico with a consortium there. And that is something that that consortium is, is now pushing towards which, with, with what they call the UGAs, which is the unfortunate Italian pronunciation for UGA, which is <laughs> the same as an MGA, really. Um, just a really kind of terroir-specific uh, interpretation of, of, um, of wines. So, yeah, I, that, that would be one of the learning objectives for sure. Uh, and I think hopefully we're also going to touch a bit about on the history of Barolo as well. So that would be another learning objective too. Hey, great. And also I got to remind you to say the word Ugas a bunch more times. Yeah. <laughs> no, you wouldn't say UGA. No, God forbid if you're in Italy, it's going to be an Uga. <laughs> <laughs> that makes my day. All right. So without further ado then, I will bring on Alberto. Are you there? I am, I am. Uga, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Matt, uh, go ahead at the end. I will come back. And if there's time for questions and there's a question, we'll do that. But um, otherwise, you you go ahead and um, talk to you later. Great. Okay, cool. Hi, Alberto. Um, Let's start at the beginning, if we can. Um, Fontana Freda was one of the very first producers to make wines labelled as Barolo. So that's quite a recent, uh, relatively recent development. Um, 1858, have I got that right? Correct. When you started producing. How, put the history in context for us, how how do you think Barolo has changed in the last 166 years? 64 years, 164 years. How does modern Barolo compare to the original wines that Fontana Freda produced back then? Well, um, first of all, uh, let me just do a quick introduction about Fontana Freda for those of you that uh, Mm. don't know it. Uh, Yes, uh, correct. It started in 1858. It was because of the love story that uh, King Vittorio Emanuele II, first king of Italy, had with uh, Rosa Vercellana, the lucky mistress. Um, Fontana Fred Estate was purchased by Vittorio uh, for her, for the woman that he truly loved. And then uh, uh, subsequently it was um, uh, their son, Emanuele Alberto, that started to vinify. It was around uh, the 1870s, though, that um, the first label of uh, Fontana Freda started to appear. Um, the property today has preserved the original shape. It's a tiny village set in the uh, Serlunga d'Alba town. Uh, we manage 120 hectares of land. Uh, most of these uh, vineyards are all surrounding the state, and it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful place. Uh, there is this beautiful amphitheater of rounded hills that surround the state. Um, to answer your question, but, well, well uh, I read a lot about the early beginnings of uh, Barolo, heard a lot. There are a lot of myths. Uh, the, the truth is that uh, uh, Nebbiolo has been in, in Piemonte since uh, 1200s, but uh, Barolo, as we know it today, started uh, probably around the 1830s. Uh, so, um, and what uh, we know certainly, certainly is that uh, uh, around those times, the uh, modern enology started to appear in Piedmont. So if I can uh, say what happened uh, in these uh, 164 years, uh, for sure, uh, I believe that uh, today we manage uh, the, the enology in a much more careful way, uh, decanting the, the wines, uh, uh, managing the fermentation, uh, 
so at the time they they couldn't manage uh, the, the fermentation completely uh, to tell to give you an example in one of uh, the historical cellar that is set uh, in, inside fontana fredda underneath uh, the barrels there there was space to put a fire fireplace in order to heat uh, the the barrels to complete the fermentation mm. um, yeah, 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 that's weird. <laughs> but um, so a lot has changed. So today we uh, do more, much more carefully. The, the, we protect the, the, the wine from the oxidation in every stage. We are extremely clean in our cellar. <laughs> in the cellar, in, probably in the 1850s, uh, the, uh, not probably, uh, they also had animals in the same, uh, in the same place. So. Really? Um, <laughs> modern technology, hundred and uh, uh, almost fifty years of uh, modern technology is what happened, and uh, how uh, Barolo today differs from the early beginnings. Mm, mm, amazing. Um, and do you think the wines have become easier to drink uh, at a younger age? Is that what would you would say is a consequence of? These, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, not faulty as being the primary, you know, objective or, uh, of temperature control, but but also more drinkable, um, should we say? Or did they used to kind of, uh, they, I'm guessing there were more things might have been added to the wine, you know, going back over 100 years. That is uh, indeed the goal, at least uh, I can talk for for. Uh... Uh, what is the identity of Fontana Fredda Barolo today? The main goal is uh, to have uh, wines that are pro approachable throughout their uh, lifespan. So starting from the early beginning, that is indeed uh, uh, something that has uh, changed. And for us, uh, it, it is very important. And this is also the reason why we met the Barolo Week, uh, making Barolo approachable and drinkable by the glass. Uh, is, uh, uh, as a wine for uh, uh, drinking every day, uh, it, it's something that uh, for sure uh, is the proof. Yeah, good. Yeah, I walked into one of our restaurants today, having been away, and they were like, "Oh my God, when how how much longer are we doing this promotion? Because it's flying." So that was really um, really encouraging that uh, customers were kind of jumping at the opportunity to have some barola by the glass. Um. Amazing. One thing I look at, you know, um, I heard a lot all week in uh, County Classico is uh, mm -hmm. organic farming. Um, and um, I mean, almost everyone I saw in County Classico was was organic certified. Um, you, Fontana Fred has been certified now for four years. Um, it's it's expensive. Why, you know, it's time consuming, it's expensive. Why did you get that? Why did you want to get that certification? Well, indeed, indeed, you're totally right. Um, well, it's better to be poor and healthy than uh, rich and sick, no? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was born and uh, here in, uh, in the area, I see now the area has uh, changed during the years. Uh, we are in a um, in a historical phase where all uh, the the companies have this responsibility to let's say uh, save the planet, do something. Uh, Fontana Fredda, uh, I I always liked this philosophy because it's something that started way before the organic certification, um, and here it's not perceived as a cost at all. Even, uh, uh, even though, yes, it is time consuming, but it's not perceived as a cost at all, it's an investment. Um, mm. Fontana Fredda has this leading role because um, uh, it's a path that started in the early 90s. Uh, there were already at that time uh, run by the Regione Piemonte some initi initiatives uh, to reduce uh, uh, the level of uh, chemical uh, in the vineyards. And that um, at the time, Fontana Fredda already applied by this uh, misure uh, agroambientali. Uh, later on, 2012, we launched uh, a big project called Vino Libero, 
um, Vino Libero was uh, actually sounds like uh, quite an ambitious name. Uh, and and uh, today we, 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 someone would say greenwashing, but uh, no, because it, it, is ah. actually, it was actually a project registered at a European Union level, which involved uh, the um, elimination of chemical products and herbicides in the vineyards a reduction of sulfides, a minimum 40% uh, to, um, compared to the legal limit. And um, all the state vineyards uh, and uh, all the farmers that were working under um, uh, our uh, protocol were adhering to these um, uh, limits. Then uh, in 2015, we felt uh, that the time was mature to step further. So that's when we started the organic certification process. Uh, so today, all uh, the photographed um, vineyards are run as organic, and also uh, part of uh, the same the same families that work with us are either converting or um, they are working under sustainable practices uh, under our consultancy. Um, I saw that. So I mean, obviously, organic certification I'm familiar with, but. I see that you've also got a sustainability certification called Equalitas, which I don't yes. think I've seen before. Can you tell us a, a bit about that? Absolutely. I feel uh, in part responsible for that. I tell you, I tell you why. Um, Equalitas is the next step. Uh, it's um, one of the most important certification body here in Italy. Uh, to certify um, the sustainability in different aspects. And um, I think uh, it's what uh, really represents uh, the philosophy of Fontana Fredda when it comes uh, to sustainability, because uh, it's not uh, just uh, the part rela related to the organic farming. Um, basically, um, uh, in, we measure every year. Uh, the main indicator is the carbon, carbon footprint, so uh, the emission that we make uh, for producing mm -hmm. our wine. And the goal is a little by little every year to improve the performance. Um, from a com commercial, from a street commercial point of view, uh, and that's the reason why I feel responsible is because uh, some of the retailers around the world uh, and the buyer of some uh, market. Uh, uh, let's say they, they are more forefront from this point of view. And um, in particular, in Sweden, the uh, monopoly called the system Bolaget is, uh, yeah. yeah, they are the ones that nowadays uh, require a sustainability certification if you want to apply for the tender process uh, in order to be listed in their shops. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, that is becoming uh, uh, a requirement. Um, Equalitas means uh, environmental, ethical, and economical sustainability. So these are the three aspects. Um, so regarding the part uh, uh, in the environment, besides the agriculture, it is uh, the water cycle, uh, which is uh, measured. Uh, luckily in uh, Piemonte, uh, we are quite, uh, quite uh, virtuous from that point of view, because uh, basically there is no irrigation. And in Fontana Fredda, uh, the water that we use is recycled um, from a small lake that is part of the property. So we use that water uh, clean uh, several times in the, uh, all the, uh, the proceedings that uh, we, we need in the cellar. Uh, we, have, uh, we use sustainable energy. Uh, last year, we experimented um, uh, sus um, sustainable tractors they are uh, fueled with uh, biomethane biomethane and the biomethane oh, wow. is generated uh, yeah it's uh, very interesting because also this project uh, uh, is uh, to fuel them uh, with biomethane that is generated from the waste from the agriculture so it's a real circular economy um, wow. in, the, in, in, in the property uh, there is uh, a forest uh, we, call, we call it the forest of thoughts it's the green lung of Antarafred. It's 12 hectares of forest uh, that dates back to, to uh, the King's times. And then when it comes to the packaging, all the aspect, uh, all the, the single part of the packaging from the recycled paper to the recycled glass, uh, the cardboard boxes, everything. Um, and then uh, the last part, the um, uh, ethic, 
ethical part. Uh, Fontana Freda is a small village since the beginning, and um, initiatives uh, uh, to make the employees happy, happy uh, the, they were run since the beginning. For instance, there is a kinder kindergarten free for uh, during the summer for the employees. Uh, there are a lot of initiatives, uh, and the company itself is uh, reinvesting a lot in the area. Uh, so all these uh, uh, virtuous actions are part uh, of uh, uh, an official document that we publish every year. We just published the one uh, related to 2021, which is our sustain sustainability report. And you can find it our, uh, on our website. Quite uh, long, uh, complicated, tricky to, to tell, because basically on our label, uh, back label, you just find this uh, small logo. Uh, but uh, it embraced our philosophy for uh, the years to come. Hmm. Amazing. That sounds like a huge commitment. It's also funny how much, how often when I talk to winemakers, the Swedish monopoly comes up in conversation. <laughs> um, it's extraordinary how they influence uh, the wine world. I mean, I've heard so many winemakers reference them in diff for different ways. Not always. It's, sometimes it sounds like they're, uh, that they have some weird ideas that make everyone's life more difficult. But, you know, I suppose we could say that this say, sustainability is a real industry positive. Um, talking about your, you've, you, you know, you've got these 120 hectares under volume uh, and you have there's independent growers. How does that work? Fontana Fred is a negotiable? Well, I didn't really understand. Yeah, in a way, yes. Um, and actually, the equality certification is uh, uh, precisely also uh, one of the reasons um, uh, why we make the equalities is that uh, not only uh, we're responsible for ourselves, but we're responsible for the entire supply chain of the grapes. So this uh, basically states uh, that the growers that uh, will work in the, uh, in the years to come with us uh, must adhere uh, to certain uh, um, uh, clean agriculture, um, a certain protocol. And even though they're independent, uh, I must say they are being, most of them have been working with us for generations. And... Um, it's a relationship that is not just as a negotiation because uh, our team of agronomists consult them uh, throughout the year. Uh, so they, they visit uh, each of these uh, farmers throughout the year. Uh, when it comes closer to the harvest, they are visited by the knowledgeists as well. So during the year, uh, they are given free consultancy by us uh, in terms of the intervention, the treatments, uh, anything they need to do in order to reach the, the clean quality of the grapes that we want uh, and also for the most appropriate time of the harvest uh, of course uh, nice. during the year we often do events uh, uh, cons uh, meetings uh, here in Fontana Fredda uh, to update from a technical, technical point of view and um, yeah uh, regarding the portfolio when, if I can make this uh, um, big uh, differentiation, the grapes uh, that comes from the growers uh, uh, give us a great uh, chance to make larger, uh, more homogeneous blends. So these uh, blends um, of different vineyards allow us to express the varietal characteristic uh, and more the vintage characteristic. Uh, typically, this uh, is uh, our label, which is the historical one, the one that we call platinum or tradizione. Uh, where the the one with the uh, coat of arms of uh, uh, the the family of uh, Vittorio Emanuele. Mm. Uh, instead, uh, we have um, other lines uh, where um, we use uh, our own uh, vineyards uh, or the long term rentals, uh, and these are mainly the uh, the crew and the um, the one the, the wines that we call le righe le righe means the stripes and the stripes uh, uh, are uh, is also a landmark that identifies the buildings in fontana fredda so it gives a sense of place uh, of uh, where we are and also where the wine come from are you enjoying this podcast there is so much more high quality wine content available from mama jumbo shrimp 
Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, The Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco and other stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. So if I'm looking at your wine labels, it's coat of arms means it's your own vineyards, but stripes might not be. Is that right? Have I understood that properly? Or stripe is your own or or is it yeah, stripes uh, it's uh, mostly on vineyards uh, or long term rentals. Okay. They, yeah. And on the other end, the former silver, because now it's a little bit more clear color, so we call it platinum. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the platinum label is the one uh, with uh, all the grapes that uh, we uh, purchase around uh, with this uh, network of farmers. I see. Okay. So, uh, uh, in terms of your total output, what do you, what's the split between own grapes and uh, you know purchased? Is it fifty-fifty, or how, do you do you know? Are you able to measure it? Oh, it's tricky to to measure. Honestly, it's uh, okay. tricky to measure. Yeah, uh, I, I will reply later if I can find the the speak. Okay, don't worry. Um, and in terms of your um, uh, sales, uh, one thing that was kind of interesting. I know I keep talking about Chianti Classico because I was just there. Mm-hmm. You know, we met a few producers who were maybe 10% domestic sales um, and 90% international, usually North America. How does it work for Fontana Freda? Your, um, you know, what's the split wow. between what you sell in Italy, what you sell elsewhere? Wow, that is an impressive figure. Um, yeah, with uh, these numbers, I feel more confident. Uh, so... Actually, today uh, we are roughly 50 and 50 split. Uh, historically, Fontana Fredda is a st- has a strong market in the domestic market. Uh, today, we have a big push in, uh, the, in the export. So during the year, the split uh, is, uh, has changed because uh, when I started uh, in 2016, it was 40-60, uh, uh, now it's almost 50-50. Um, we export to seven different co- 70 different countries sorry, around the world. And yeah, uh, we export all around the world, basically. Uh, it's interesting because uh, we have this uh, very diversified portfolio because, uh, of course, we are uh, famous for the red wines uh, mainly. Uh, we've been talking about Barolo Week, but uh, uh, Fontana Fredda is... Uh, uh, and gives me these tools to almost have a tailored uh, strategy according to each market where I can pick the different grape varieties and the different styles of Piemonte because we uh, we talk about reds, but uh, Piemonte is uh, the region of uh, uh, Moscato d'Asti, uh, Asti Spumante, Metodo Charma, uh, Great Whites, which is uh, the next frontier for, for, for Piemonte. So Arnaise, uh, last week we tasted the Arnaise, remember how much we liked it. Mm. Uh, Ga- Gavi, uh, Timorasso, yeah. uh, and Altalanga, of course. Altalanga is uh, an excellence. Uh, in uh, in our production, in it's uh, mm. the sm- smallest smallest production that we have. Uh, it's interesting because today uh, the the Altalanga it's um, mainly consumed locally. Uh, the overall production among all the producers is uh, a little above one million bottles, but uh, it's something that will grow o- over the year. And I always say it's a natural consequence uh, of the climate change uh, going in the Altalang, in the higher, in higher elevation. So we are exploiting this potential that the that terroir in the Altalanga has. And now with Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, uh, tomorrow uh, uh, probably it will be also other grape varieties. Uh, Altalanga is very mm-hmm. exciting. And um, Fotalfred has been producing Metodo Classico since 1959. Uh, that is impressive because when you look at the story of Fontana Fred, it has always been uh, very innovative and a trailblazer for many, many projects, many things here in the area. Uh, we produced a wine called Contessa Rosa, 
Metodo Classico since 1959. Today it's one uh, part of our full range of Altalanga, six different wines. Um, little by little, I am also, we're starting to, to uh, export also the Altalanga uh, in around the world. We started in uh, Scandinavia again uh, and in North America. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I agree with you. There's, there's something about Altalanga. We, we list uh, one uh, from Contrato. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree with you that it's, it's kind of an exciting place for a method or classical. Um, and what I just, you know, when, when it gets bigger and bigger, I'm sure that it, it, I'm sure I agree that it will keep, keep growing. Um, on just talking about um, sparkling, you mentioned Moscato Dasti. I can't think of a less fashionable wine in the UK than Moscato Dusty. Um, it was about the hardest sell in, <laughs> to UK customers it's possible to get. It's so tough to sell it in this country. Where where does it work for you? It must be working well for you internationally. Where? Who are the countries that love it? Well, to go back to uh, what we were talking uh, earlier about the United States, uh, it, on United States, it's our main market today. Actually, it's one of the main market for Moscato Dusty is, uh, is a denomination for the typology of Moscato. Uh, actually, grew a lot, double, uh, double digits uh, during the pandemic. Uh, it, it's impressive because it's a market where probably they can find uh, Moscato from uh, different areas from around the world, but uh, apparently even for the Moscato, the quality pays. The Moscato Dusty uh, is, uh, uh, of course, a high quality product. So uh, indeed, the uh, United States and then um, several other markets around the world. Here in Europe, the uh, main market uh, is Greece. And it's ironic, you know, because uh, Moscato actually came all the way through Greece uh, uh, here in Italy, uh, and now we export it uh, there. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, God, how funny. Um, and then going on to getting into now the Reds, and in particular the Barolo, um, how um, I would guess that in terms of value, if not volume, Barolo is, has got to be the most important part of your sales. Would that be right to say? Indeed, indeed. Uh, yes, your total annual turnover, you know, how does Barolo, Barolo figure? It is interesting because I was uh, actually checking this data uh, a few days ago and uh, Barolo represents, in terms of turnover, uh, in terms of revenues, one third of our annual revenues. Wow. <laughs> that is I- impressive, impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, Barolo is very, is our DNA, is our identity, of course. Uh, I was talking about everything else, but of course, Barolo is, uh, uh, for us, six to, um, we, we, we produce 6% of the entire Barolo that is produced uh, every year. Uh, really? In this moment, uh, yeah, in, in, in this moment, uh, in the cellar, uh, among the bottles uh, uh, that are already bottled and uh, the wine that is aging uh, throughout the, the different vintages, uh, we have roughly 2.5 million of bottles uh, of Barolo uh, that are there uh, waiting uh, to, to, to be uh, sold around the world. Uh, so that is impressive. Uh, what is more impressive is another figure, uh, which is uh, the Barolo library. The Barolo library is uh, what really stands out in, uh, in Fontana Fredda. Uh, we have um, about uh, 200,000 bottles that are kept aside uh, as part of uh, this library, uh, as part of this very extensive uh, collection uh, in terms of quantity and depth of vintages. 
and uh, yeah, I'm very lucky <laughs> to work for Fontana Fred. Yesterday evening, I was having dinner at our restaurant, Guido Restaurant, in the property, and we opened oh, yeah. the 1974 Barolo. <laughs> what a treat for me. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, since the 50s, Fontana, 1950s, Fontana Fredda is kept aside uh, every year. The best vintage is a uh, few bottles of Barolo. These bottles uh, are kept uh, uh, naked, no label, um, and they're resting in the cellar in perfect condition of humidity and temperature. And um, basically, today we continue this practice. So. <laughs> if we if we start this today, it would be crazy, uh, crazy to 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 start a project like this. So the the property today, when they they purchased the winery uh, in 2008, they were lucky enough to find this collection. Uh, so they, they they continue this, uh, and this is great because every time that uh, we open these old vintages, uh, we demonstrate that Barolo is the greatest wine in the world, uh, without a doubt. It's crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not going to disagree. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, what, um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, to my mind, there's no competition. Um, tell, the, tell us, just because you just mentioned it, what was the 1974 like? What was it well, like? Well, uh, there was some sediment. There was uh, this brown color. Um, mm -hmm. We had the patience enough to wait. Uh, there was some. There was some sign of oxidation. But what was very very nice that after uh, 15 minutes, the wine started to still show some fruit. Mm -hmm. uh, really? summer, it was still fresh. I mean, really? still acidity, and that is uh, what is impressive for me. Uh, that the wine, uh, uh, of course, you need to manage your expectations, but the wine uh, was uh, still quite surprising, in my opinion. That the acidity was still there. Uh, so, uh, yeah. shade, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um. I tasted on Monday, I tasted a 1986 um, Cante Classico with Fontori. And what was interesting was um, they, uh, obviously it was, it was com pretty much completely tertiary, but also the, um, it's happily not relevant in Barolo, but the, the uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, there was, a, there was a small amount of Cabernet Sauvignon, which had completely come to the fore. Um, you know, it was very clearly a Cabernet Sauvignon blend wine. It's just, I'm always fascinated by, you know, with decades of aging, what can happen with wines. Um, so I'm very interested in your, uh, you know, what you're holding back. How are you, how is that, this project of your 200,000 bottles, how is that going to be commercialized? I mean, are you going to, the library, is that something that you've got a plan for that you're going to be kind of, selling promoting or is it something you're gonna or more that you're just gonna wait to see what happens is have you got are you exploiting it i suppose is my question or are you mm -hmm. this is something you're gonna hold back no uh we are we let's say we are not under uh, under pressure uh because some of the vintages are just uh, held back uh, and uh, we uh, give them on a location but for instance uh, we do campaigns when the wine has uh, uh, been aged uh, um, enough, <laughs> in our opinion. For mm. instance, this year, this year we did some uh, promotion in a few markets uh, where we launched the 1982. So 40 wow. years Barolo. 40 years Barolo, it's a cool, a cool concept. Uh, sometimes uh, we do that with uh, 20 years Barolo. So Looking back at the library, uh, we try to create uh, small campaigns in order to do very cool activities. For instance, uh, I go back to Sweden again, sorry, uh, but uh, people are allowed to enter in a wine shop in the Monopoly and buy wine when they are 20. So uh, if we have a 20-year-old Barolo, we uh, try to release uh, this uh, every year. 
and it's a cool concept because uh, uh, they, 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 they can drink the wine that was conceived uh, when uh, they were born. Uh, right, yes, of course. Yeah, um, how brilliant. Um, talking now about the, the Barolo, the, the, the Nebbiolo that you're growing today for the wines of the future, um, you've got between, we were talking about this at lunch, you've got in your vineyards a couple of different soil types. You know, Nebbiolo really responds to, to terroir. Tell us a bit about the different soils that you have, you know, why you think it matters, what characters you're um, giving the wine. Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, I keep aside the, the Barolo Classico since, uh, uh, as I said, uh, it's, ba- it's made starting from grapes from different areas. When it comes uh, instead uh, uh, for the soil of Fontana Freddy State, uh, yes, we are located uh, in uh, the, the eastern part of the denomination. Uh, we are in Serlunga d'Alba, but uh, Fontana Freddy State is located at uh, the bottom of the ridge of hills that uh, starts uh, the, the Serlunga d'Alba village, so in the northern part, uh, which means uh, that uh, we are closer to La Mora and uh, our soil in the state. Uh, show more layers of Mars, uh, sand. Uh, so this uh, is normally reflected uh, in grapes uh, f- uh, from Nebbiolo that, of course, uh, are always extraordinary quality in Serlunga d'Alba, in all the village. But uh, here in particular, they express much more elegance. Uh, they give wines that are more expressive, uh, refined when they're young. Um, mm-hmm. There's a natural predisposition from this kind of soil to give softer, softer tannins. And then... Uh, oh, the, sorry, just, uh, just, sorry, Alberto, just talking about that. Explain why sand... I, I was talking about this in a vineyard two days ago. Sand and nebbiolo, sand and grapes generally, sand and nebbiolo, what's the effect? Why does it have this, you know, you get a bit more perfume? How does that happen? Well, uh, naturally, uh, what happens is that uh, the, the vines uh, don't grow in too much uh, calcareous soil. They don't need to struggle. They don't extract too much uh, tannins. On the other end, uh, the, uh, naturally, the sand boosts uh, the, the, the perfumes, naturally. And uh, uh, also, it's a kind of soil in the state which is a little bit more fertile as compared to the higher elevation in the village, uh, allowing us to pick the grapes a little bit earlier. Uh, so normally there is a difference of about 10 days uh, in the, the phenolic maturation between the, the nebula that we have in our vineyards compared to the one that we have in the higher part of the village of Serlunga d'Alba. That stupid question now. If you're picking earlier, wouldn't that make the grapes more tannic? Or, or what, what have I un- misunderstood? What have I misunderstood? I would have thought that you pick earlier, you get more tannic yeah, grapes, yeah. more acidic grapes. Um, not, uh, not necessarily because uh, uh, it's what we, uh, how we extract the tannins that makes the difference. Uh, in terms of, uh, of style for, for the wines, uh, um, we try to extract the good tannins, the ones that we consider the sweet tannins. Uh, so um, uh, we uh, match the, the uh, maceration and temperature of fermentation and everything in our cellar, also with some techniques that we are introducing in order to extract a good amount of good tannins and not uh, the wine not to be too aggressive. Okay, so it's a combination of, you know, the 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 grapes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so don't have to stress too much, and so you can pick them earlier, and then in the cellar, you're able to manage the tannins in a way that gets the, that good kind of drinkable outcome. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. And one of the things that interests me always about Piemontese growers is their uh, 
kind of deep understanding of tannins and how they come about. And, you know, I, I just find it completely fascinating how, um, uh, you guys are so good at, you know, thinking about tannins, which is so important in Italian wines. You mentioned the, the sweet tannins. That would be, again, that's, would you say soil in, in the vineyard or in the cellar that you're able to get those sweeter tannins? Both, both. In okay. particular, the grapes that come from the state of Santana Fredda are particularly suitable for this, but we want tannins that are as elegant as possible. Um, I, 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 I consider this uh, the style of Santana Fredda, uh, that during the, the vinification we uh, try uh, to have this extraction of tannins, uh, not to dry, not to bitter. Um, the ones that uh, helps the, the, the freshness, the drinkability of the wine. Uh, you have a very good understanding with the vintage 2018 in particular, uh, because it's uh, so drinkable and so, so suiting this, uh, this style. Um, no coincidence that it's going well uh, with this uh, Barolo Week by, by the Glass campaign. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think I think you've kind of you sort of touched on it a bit, but the the um, what the, what what's the per, is there a perfect Barolo and what's it like? Like what is or do you think everyone's got their own style? There's a Fontana Freda style and there's another producer's style, and they're both equally valid. Uh, or what, what do you think is what, you know when you say the Barolo is the greatest one in the world, like why? What is it about it well, that makes it the best? Well, uh, the, obvious question, the, the obvious reply would be the, the longage ability that allow, uh, allow you to drink uh, on an average day uh, 50 years of yeah. Barolo. But uh, um, I would say uh, the great elegance that uh, throughout uh, is, uh, its life, uh, the, the Barolo preserves. So... Um, Barolo keeps uh, evolving uh, little by little, but uh, it always preserves uh, this uh, elegance. It doesn't have stops. Uh, it doesn't have breaks uh, during its evolution. Uh, it doesn't slow down. It always continues, uh, but it always preserves uh, this, uh, this great elegance, uh, in my opinion. And then, yeah, to, to, to talk about the different styles, uh, uh, to go back to, to your introduction, uh, <laughs> we, we could start talking about uh, the different vineyards and the different MGA. Uh, this would be yeah, a great yeah. discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. I mean, I think it's so important. It's, you know, honestly, like the Chianti Classico producers, you know, you can tell the whole, all the producers around there, are just really obsessing about this, about how to get single vineyards, the the frazione, you name it. They really want to. They didn't talk about what interested me. They didn't talk about Piemonte very much. If I were them, uh, I'd be going, well, in Piemonte, they're doing this. And they never did. Uh, we were laughing about it. But tell me about, your, tell me about MGAs, your MGAs in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... It, it's no mystery that the, the Piemonte is uh, little by little taking the example of Burgundy. So in this sense, yeah. uh, um, we fully embrace uh, this uh, uh, this uh, division in, in, in MGA. Actually, Fontana Fredda back in the days was uh, quite a trailblazer in that uh, direction. So uh, in the coming years, uh, this uh, for Fontana Fredda uh, will be the identity to show and explain this uh, difference. We try uh, to make it um, easier, but it's a complicated reality. Uh, the best is to visit the area. But uh, what we do, what we will do uh, in the next year is that starting from uh, two uh, MGA Barolo that we have today, we will arrive to have 10. <laughs> really? Yes. Uh, really? This is super exciting because um, I think I'm telling this uh, uh, for the first time because I talk uh, to the um, to the winemaker, to the property at Lee just yesterday about this. Um, so 
speaking about uh, talking about the, the portfolio of Fontana Freda and how it tells uh, how Barolo is structured today. We said uh, we have Barolo Classico, okay, uh, mm. but we also have uh, the MGA. Uh, MGA is better than Uga, no? Ah. <laughs> MGA or Omega uh, from the township, uh, the Serlunga di Alba. Serlunga di Alba, actually, the Serlunga di Alba. Uh, Fontana Fredda is the oldest that was ever introduced in 1988. We celebrated this year uh, 30 years of this concept. Uh, so we have the MGA and then uh, we have the NGA itself. And the MGA itself uh, in Fontana Fredda is uh, Fontana Fredda. That's uh, uh, brilliant mm. because uh, uh, among the division in different MGAs, uh, there is only one monopole that is called after a property and it's Fontana Freda property and this is the reason why we make this Barolo uh, which is uh, from Nebbioli from different vineyards inside the state and it's called Proprietà in Fontana Freda but uh, starting from this year uh, we uh, actually no, starting from 2020 so it will be released uh, in 2024 we also make the two new MGA that were originally part of our Serralunga and now have been um, vinified separately. We do micro vinification of Parafada and Meriame, that are two super vineyards in Serralunga d'Alba. And then we go to the last and smallest portion in the Barolo division because we have Vigna. Vigna. Uh, since Fontana Fredda historically was producing uh, the wines uh, under uh, as a single vineyard, as a vigna before the 2010 division of the, the MGA, uh, some of the vineyards uh, are inscribed in the official uh, list. The one that we have been continuously uh, making is Vigna La Rosa. Vigna La Rosa is our historical crew, is uh, the vigna that stays in the center of the state, uh, facing south, uh, and um, has been continuously made since 1964. But, uh, but, but this year, we, we have uh, vinified separate, separately a few new vineyards, which are actually not so new. They were made as uh, Vigna until 1992, and we are doing them again. And these are called Vigna Gallareto, still part of uh, MJ Fontana Fredda, Vigna Bianca, and Vigna San Pietro. These uh, three vineyards have been uh, vinified in uh, um, Tini, so wood and vet, um, 40 hectoliters, part of the grapes, uh, whole bunches, uh, and then uh, they went under a total of 40 days between uh, fermentation and maceration. And mm -hmm. now they're being racked and they are uh, aging in the same tiny. And this is a project where we go uh, back to back to future. <laughs> I mean, we go back to the original, to the early beginning of Fontana Fredda to do micro vinification of every single vigna with the most traditional techniques and doing more and more uh, this uh, small, not so small, but uh, smaller interpretation uh, with different techniques uh, of the different vineyards. I mean, I hope I, I, I confused you enough. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, uh, it's, you know, uh, I feel I agree. Uh, I feel like it is the future um, to be, uh, particularly, you know, looking at it commercially, um, to, to have the most prized wines of the future and to be able to monetize that, you know, that's, it's inevitable. Um, is it unusual? You said, so they go back into the same teeny to age. Is that an unusual thing? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, is that an unusual step? No, that's um, a normal, no, that's kind of, no, no. no. Yeah. Mm. Okay. No, no, no. What is a ironic, um, not ironic, but what uh, shows uh, the different era in uh, the winemaking here is that the uh, cellar where we make this wine is the one that in the 1990s uh, were, the, um, were hosting the barrique 
225 liter uh, fresh yeah, oil that has yeah, been replaced. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, 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 very interesting. You can also find some amphoras, some other stuff in that. So it's becoming a, a laboratory, a lab <laughs> that uh, part of yeah. our uh, cellar. Yeah. Um, and are these wines, are they, they, these are basically just a process, the, the individual, individual vineyard, um, those are just ones that you have noticed give, you know, particularly interesting character over the year. It's not driven by it's driven by tasting rather than driven by the science of the geology or or the aspect i mean what was the was there a shortlisting process of how are you going to get to these individual crew or is that kind of try endless trial and error well it's um, for us uh, it's an experiment because as i said the these three vinya uh, in the state uh, were not uh, vinified separately since 1982 uh, mm. so these three in particular are vinified in the same uh, in the same way some of the other uh, uh, vineyards are um, we try to stress the difference but more with different techniques. For instance, uh, as I briefly mentioned, some uh, have been vinified uh, with uh, different layers of uh, distend and whole bunches. Mm. Mm. Uh, so some uh, were fermented in oak, some were fermented uh, traditionally. Instead, still, uh, we have time to make a lot of experiments and then um, we'll see. Mm. We'll see. It will be, the future mm. will be exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, listen, I can't wait to 2024 to start trying them. Um, listen, it's, 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 we're, we're finishing our hour. Um, uh, I think we've covered uh, everything. Yes, I think we've covered everything we want to cover. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I, you know, good luck with Barola Week uh, around the world. Uh, I hope it's been successful for everyone else as it has been for us um and uh yeah we'll catch up back in london very soon and um, Laika is typing me a message uh let's see if she's got anything else to say oh yes no i'm now i'm turning over to joy which sounds a bit weird um joy are you back on the line I certainly am. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was a very that was a lovely conversation. Uh, sounds like you you really do enjoy his wine, so that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I believe that we have uh, we only have two minutes, so um, I think like I had mentioned, there is a question from some from owner, I believe. Uh, can you explain if you don't mind? He's written it, but I'm afraid. I okay, er, like can you Sure. Um, so um, if you scroll up, he has a question. I missed, so he said, I missed. How you manage to make a Barolo that is younger than 20 to 25 years drinkable? Can you explain if you don't mind? Thanks. Can you, yeah. I think um, reading that question, it, the question seems to be, how can Barolo be drinkable at less than 20 years? Perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, four, but there you go. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm not a winemaker, but uh, basically, it's uh, the uh, what I was uh, saying before what we uh, refer to the extraction of baby sweet, the good tennis. So, um, for our Barolo Classico, which is the most approachable of uh, them all, uh, there is First of all, a majority of grapes that we have that comes from the, the western part of the denomination where normally the uh, tannins are much softer. Uh, but um, normally for uh, the Barolo Classico, we rack the wine after 20 days. So we don't do the traditional super long maceration of the grapes over the skin of Nebbiolo. That is how uh, we, we make the Barolo drinkable. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, owner, for, for that question. That's very much appreciated. Um, so Laika, before I say goodbye to Matt and Alberto, can you tell me when the next, pod er, next podcast, when is the next Clubhouse session? 
Um, it's going to be tomorrow at 6 p.m. Italian time zone. Uh, Sheila Donoghue um, from Vino Vero um, will be interviewing uh, Antonella Manuli from uh, Fasoria La Maliosa. So that's it. See you guys tomorrow. And thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank, thank you both. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Have a great Thanks for the support. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.